Anybody need a victory? Yeah. Mm. Good music. We're finishing up our series, Identity Theft, and we've been uh, addressing a issue that I think affects a lot of Christians. In fact, uh, all the emails and conversations would tell me absolutely it's hitting a nerve in the body of Christ. You know, so many Christians are living these kind of defeated lives. We're failing to comprehend our, our true worth and living life with uh, kind of a less than feeling. And it's absolutely not what God intended for us as Christians. We're told in Scripture we are chosen by God, handpicked, that we're loved by God, that we're God's prized possession. And God promises us in his word that our future will be more than we can even imagine. But as I talk to Christians, that's not the life that most live. And we talked about why that is. Because we're being robbed. We're being ripped off. Uh, the evil one, uh, Satan, is a thief. He's a, a liar. And Jesus kind of warned us about his objective. And we've looked at this throughout the whole series. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come in order that you might have life, life in all its fullness. You know, Jesus didn't say, I came so that you could just survive, so that you could endure and just get by in this life. He didn't say, hey, I came so that you could live life defeated you know, merely exist. I believe, because of God's word, that Christians ought to be the most positive, optimistic people in the world. In other words, a pessimistic Christian is really, it's an oxy, um, what do you call it? Okay, you said it, I didn't. (laughs) It's a little harsh, isn't it? But, You get the point. I mean, that is true. It is an insult to God for us to be pessimistic as Christians. You know, Paul, he wrote the book of Romans, probably my favorite book in the the Bible. In the first seven chapters, he addresses what life is like without Jesus Christ in it. And then chapter 8, he he makes this transition and says, let's talk about life with Christ. And there's a a key phrase that you find throughout that chapter, and it's in Christ. In Christ. It's Paul's favorite term for Christians. In fact, he uses it 164 times in the New Testament. Paul says, in Christ, you get a new perspective. In Christ should impact how we live our lives. You know, Romans 8, verse 33 says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? See, Paul, Paul's reminding Christians. He's saying, you know, whatever your circumstance is, whatever your trouble, whatever problem you're facing today, no matter what is happening, you absolutely have to keep perspective 
And he goes on and he gives us this game-changing thought in verse 37. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquerors. The Greek uh, is also translated overcomers. So conquerors, overcomers. You know, through the power of Jesus Christ as Christians, we have the ability to overcome stuff. Stuff that, that you couldn't overcome on your own. Stuff that would take you down. You can have the victory because of Jesus Christ. We can overcome temptation. We can overcome the, the need for revenge, uh, the desire to mistreat people. The, we can overcome a challenging situation, something that's way beyond our capacity to, to deal with. We can overcome, because of the power of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. And I want you to let that sink in, because that's a key concept. We're more than conquerors. That is a game-changing thought that can change your whole life. I talked to a a woman a while back, and uh, she was telling me some stuff that had gone on in her life, and it had been seven or eight years. And she's kind of laundry listing this stuff. And, you know, there was some tough stuff she was talking about. But I could tell as she's sharing, she was getting amped up. And you could feel the, the anger and the frustration and everything. And so I just let her vent for a while. And it was very apparent to me she was very defeated. And when she finally kind of rested and kind of waiting for me to respond, I said this. I said, you know, that was almost eight years ago. And you can't change it. You can't change what happened. But you've got to overcome the bitterness. And she goes, I can't. And I said, you can, but you won't. Now, let's just say she was not a happy camper at my response. Um, She was mad. She was mad. And uh, I, I said to her, I said, you know, Scripture says that through the power of Jesus Christ, we can overcome. We can get through. We can get beyond whatever happens in our life. The scripture says with, with Christ, with God, all things are possible. And she goes, maybe you can, but I can't. And I had prayer with her. And friends, when she walked away, she walked away not as more than a conqueror, She walked away not ready to overcome. She really walked away as a victim, defeated. And I I share that to say this. She was buying a lie, and that's what we've been looking at, lies. This lie, I can't. You know, it's it's a lie that was stealing from her, that was destroying her. I can't. It's a powerful lie. Some of you are buying that lie today. I mean, one of, the, one of our key thoughts through the, this series has been that a lie believed as true will affect you as if it is true. 
Again, I believe that the evil one's greatest weapon is to lie to us. He's the father of lies. He's to convince us that a lie is true. And what happens if you bite, if you buy the lie, if you start believing the lie, well, you'll start living like it's true, right? I mean, it's just got that ability to get its claws in you. Every time I am faced with a situation and seeing someone just getting their life taken apart, I think about the story of Elijah. Elijah, it's in Second Kings 6. You might read it this week. But Elijah is with a few of his servants, and they basically find themselves surrounded by the Syrian army. And it's an ambush. They're going to kill him. And so the servants that are with Elijah, he was a prophet, they, they freak out. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And, and Scripture says this. says, Elijah says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed. He's praying for his servants here. He says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the servant wasn't afraid anymore. See, that was a game-changing prayer. It was a game-changing vision. It was a game-changing reality. And I think about that, that story every time I am faced with a situation that's overwhelming, when I'm in one of those positions where the odds are against me. You know, I think, this isn't going to turn out well. Those uh-oh, oh-no moments. You ever have those? It was like, oh, no. In, in that moment, I think, what, what if God, what if God was to unveil my eyes? What if God was to show me that, that I'm surrounded by his horse and chariots of fire? What if, what if he was to show me that the angels are there to protect? What if he was to show me his Holy Spirit in that moment? What if he was to show me his power? I mean, what if instead of seeing obstacles, instead of seeing problems, the, those, those roadblocks, all that fear stuff, what if I could see God's reality? And so what I thought I would do in this last session is talk about some common everyday realities that, that we all face. You know, the, and my intent really is to kind of call us out today, call us out of these defeated lives, these defeated situations, and call us into something better, call us into that fullness that, that Christ calls us to. And I know as I say that, for some, you'll want to take that step. And for some, yeah, you'll be happy to just stay right where you are. And it's your call. It's your call. See, I know when I speak to a crowd like this that we are all in different places and different stages in, in our walk. Uh, some of you are investigating. Uh, you're trying to figure out trying to figure out how God fits in your life, trying to figure out who Jesus Christ is and what this all means. And I'm glad you're here. Some of you are beginning your Christian walk. In other words, you're young in your faith. You gave your life to Christ uh, not long ago. 
and you're learning new things. You're, you're figuring things out. In fact, you're excited, and you're making changes in your life and making progress. And I cheer you in that. And some of you, and I, I had a hard time coming to a uh, term, but I'm going to say are connected Christians, okay? You're supposed to be in transition, and you've been a Christian for a long time. Some of you are grown a little bit, and some of you, well, you've settled in. You've settled in. Not so much transitioning going on. All right? And then some of you are what I call Christ-centered Christians. You're all about God. God's first. God's center in, in your life. And what I want us to get is there's this giant chasm between the connected Christian that... Again, connected Christian that's supposed to be growing, transitioning, but you've got the connected Christian. And between the Christ-centered Christian. Connected Christians often ask God to help them. They ask God to help them carry out their own program. All right? It goes something like this. God, I always wanted this. I've always wanted that. You know that that's been on my heart. And so now that I got you in my life, well, God, what I would like for you to do is I'd like this. This is what I need to happen. So if you can get to it, I'd appreciate it. We've all prayed that prayer, by the way, if we're honest. But now we're going to get really honest. That's as far as most Christians ever get in their walk with Christ. You see, until you understand that a Christ-centered Christian gives up that program, gives up that agenda, their personal agenda. I mean, it's a shift. You know, Acts, Paul, Paul writes this, says, uh, however, I'm sorry, Luke writes this, says, however, I consider my life worth nothing. To me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. New program, new agenda. I, I no longer count my agenda, my program, as the most important thing in life. No, no, I, I'm going to focus on God's agenda for my life. And I know as I say that, for some of you, you're going to push back right now. <laughs> Wait a minute. I like my agenda. I like what I'm doing. I like for God to serve my agenda. You're saying that I've got to abandon that? You know, I, I've got to figure out what God's agenda is for my life? I don't know. I like mine. Is that what you're saying, Damon? Well, actually, it's what Scripture says. We are to abandon that. Friends, I have watched for almost three decades... People who operate on their own agenda, when, when things don't go their way, they cry foul. They, they lash out at God. They fall into to self-pity, and it just doesn't does them. You know, like, let's say there's a downturn in the economy. Suddenly, finances are under siege, and 
there's this danger. Everything's unraveling. It's going the wrong way. And so folks will catch me. I have these conversations all the time. They'll go, hey, Damon, I need to talk to you. I'm really disappointed in God. God is not being very faithful these days. I'm like, okay, what's up? What what happened? Well, you know, I I got this huge mortgage. And, you know, it just, it's big. Now, I'll usually ask, I'll say, should you have gotten a mortgage that big? Uh, I don't want to talk about that. The economy shifts, and all of a sudden it's a, woe is me. You know, I'm in this situation. Where's God? I am so disappointed in God. And friends, you can shift the whatever the topic, you know. We talk about vocational crisis or relational struggles or some legal issue, whatever. When a situation turns, we call a foul on God. We, we fall into self-pity and, and many choose to stay there, just defeated and broken. And here's what I find very perplexing in, the, in our society today is that Christians, many of them feel very justified in holding on to this victim mentality and going, look what God did, God screwed up. You know, I was t- the other day talking to a guy and uh, he caught me and he's had some serious financial stuff going on. And he told me, he said, I'm upside down, and I'm going to lose my home. There's no, no two ways about it. And so I took a breath, because I thought, okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to blame God, go down that self-pity road. And he goes, you know, I'm looking at this. I think this is an opportunity. He said, I've made a lot of mistakes. I should have never taken out a loan like that. But... You know, just because I can doesn't mean I should, you know, kind of thing. And they said something very interesting. He goes, you know, I think greed took me down a very dangerous road. He said, you know, I've been spending more time in God's word, and I've decided to listen to God this time. And he asked me, he goes, you know, could you suggest a scripture that I could focus on over the next few months? And I, I sent this to him. I said, this would be a great scripture. I know what it is to have a little, and I know what it is to have plenty. And in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry and of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we've had a really good conversation around that. Friends, I would argue that this guy was showing signs of being Christ-centered in his walk, where he's striving to honor God in spite of a a, a tough situation. I mean, basically saying, how can I grow? How can I overcome the tendencies that I've had in the past to blame God? How can I overcome the tendency to blame someone else? How can I grow and mature in, in my Christian walk as I face this situation? Now, here's the key difference all right, Christ-centered people overcome. Connected Christians that should be transitioning to Christ-centered but, but aren't, they tend to call a foul. They, they tend to, to get undone in that moment. And here's my question. Which one do you want to be? 
Do you want to be here defeated and broken? Or do you want to be here? I mean, how many of you have heard of uh, LifeLock? All right. It's an identity theft protection program. It's a company. They, they offer this product. And basically, they, they monitor, they protect your identity. And it's always on alert. And they guarantee, in fact, their slogan is uh, relentlessly protecting your identity. And uh, they've done quite well for themselves. I want to suggest that a Christ-centered life where God's agenda is first is your life lock. It is the protection plan. It allows you to live life to its fullest. It will give you a new perspective despite your situation that will allow you to overcome. But it it changes how you think here. Do you ever notice when you're at church you think different? We do, don't we? You kind of go, okay, I'm in church this morning, or hopefully this is how it goes. I'm in church this morning. I guess I'm going to learn something. Uh, I'm going to hear what God has to say to me. And and so you're sitting, and you take it in, and and that's good. That's good. And I believe that if a church is functioning properly and functioning the way that God intended, that something very powerful should take place when you're sitting in the seats out there. You know, if you're, if you're sitting in the chair and you're open to whatever it is God would say to you, that something should take place inside us. That's how it's designed. That's what's supposed to take place. You know, I think you, you put that with some of the spiritual practices. We talk about them a lot around here, that you need to be praying. You need to have devotions. You need to spend some time studying God's word or journaling or just times of reflection so that... Basically, when you're in here, we're in church, God's working. When you're practicing the the disciplines, whether it be prayer or reading your Bible, that God works, okay? Get in a small group, and God works in that small group. And so the combination of all those things should change you. It should change you. Wherever you go, it should mark you in some way. So when you head off to work, it changes who you are at work, all right? In fact, the, the Bible doesn't know anything uh, about a Christ follower that goes to work and functions like everybody else in the world, you know, without faith in the marketplace. It just isn't biblical. You know, the Bible assumes that the Holy Spirit will work in you, that the Holy Spirit will work through this service or through that small group or through prayer or whatever practice you, you might be, be putting into place and that will do something significant. It assumes that when you go to work, you become a different person. And over time, your identity changes and you become a more than a conqueror type person. You become an overcomer. And, Here's what happens. When, when we stop spiritually growing, when we stop developing, we stop transitioning to become a Christ-centered person, you head off to work. Something happens at work. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you get a new boss. Maybe the company makes a, a shift, and so now they're going to require you to improve your skills, or uh, they're going to put you on a new team, all right? 
And, and again, I hear this stuff often. People go, oh, things are horrible at work. I mean, they're bad. I am so disappointed in God. I can't believe God's letting this happen. You know, I just can't believe it. I've got this new boss, and I have nothing in common with, in common with him. The guy's an idiot. And I'm kind of like, hmm. I've got to improve my skills. I have not improved myself in 15 years. And I'll usually go, really? <laughs> I've got a new team. There are a couple of people on my team. I can't stand them. Now, I'm thinking probably mutual feelings on the team, but uh, I don't say it. But every, every once in a while, you know, I'll be talking to someone. I mean, they sometimes really get amped up, and they'll be telling me how horrible their boss is and how horrible the job is and on and on and on. And then if it's really bad, they'll go, you know, I can't stand being around people. Hey, is the church hiring? <laughs> and I just, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, do you think anything you've said to me in the last five minutes would even remotely make me think about hiring you? But I don't say it again. Friends, Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors, they, more than conquerors kind of person. Overcoming kind of person. They deal with the work realities. And please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying there's not a time to change jobs, to walk away from a company. That's not what I'm saying today. But what I'm saying is that shouldn't be our, our first move. You know, when, when we face a new boss, let's say. A more-than-a-conqueror type person says, Hey, got a new boss. Don't like the boss as well as my old boss. But a more-than-conqueror type person goes to God in prayer and lifts it up in prayer. and says, You know what, God, fill me with your love. Give me a new vision for who I am. Help me figure out how to relate with the new boss. God, I do not want to get caught up in the water cooler talk. I do not want to be a person that spends their time complaining, jumping on that bandwagon. God, help me not do that. Someone has to up their skills. And I've heard this one a lot lately. Why do I have to update my skills? It's been fine for 15 years like this. I don't want to do it, and many don't. But a more than a conqueror type person looks at that very differently and says, you know what, God, you made me, you designed me, you created me to be a person that grows. So if in order to be the person that I need to be, if I need to take a class, if I need to read a book, if I need to up my skill level, then somehow, some way, in the power of Jesus Christ, I want you to help me overcome my complacency and I want to add value in a new way to the company I'm heading, I'm working with. Someone's on your team, can't stand them. They rub you the wrong way. Maybe they're abrasive, maybe they're crude, I don't know. But instead of running away from it, 
You know, I believe a more than conqueror type person says, you know what? They rubbed me the wrong way. But God, what can I do to deal with this? God, I I know there's probably a reason why they're so abrasive. In fact, God, I watch them. I'm going to guess they're pretty far from you. And so, God, I don't know. Did you move me on this team so I could build a relationship, so I could be a witness? Because if that's the reason, God, then just use me. See the shift here? You following this? I mean, you can play victim at work. You can call foul on God. You can whine, you can moan, you can complain. You can simply just be a Christian and function like the rest of the world. Or you can take the Romans 8, 37 approach and know that you are more than a conqueror. You know, that you can, with God, get past whatever stuff you need to get past and bring a new agenda to the workplace. You know, the spirit of overcoming, the spirit of being a conqueror. I mean, how about in our homes? What if we were to do that in our homes? I mean, many, many pray prayers that are very self-absorbed. You know, Christian prayers, they go something like this. God, may my wife worship me more than she does right now. May she worship me with all of her heart. God, I want her heart to be so moved that she will want to spend more time and more affection, that she will place it on the altar of me. The ladies are laughing. (laughs) You ladies pray the same prayer, too. I mean, it's just from a wife's standpoint. God, I pray that my, my kids do really well. I want them to do really well in school. I want them to get a scholarship so I don't have to spend my hard money. You know, God, don't let my kids mess up because it's going to reflect badly on me as a parent. And I have heard some of the craziest stuff through the years from Christian parents. You know, and sometimes when they start down the road, I just want to scream and go, wait a minute. You are not a victim of what's going on in your family and in your home. You know, mom and dad, you've got the power through Jesus Christ to overcome whatever's going on in your family. You know, to correct the behavior that is attributing to the mess up. You know, you have the power of Jesus Christ to spend time to get your priorities straight, to pray for your kids. You have the power through Jesus Christ to forgive that family member that you've been at war with. You can overcome whatever it is in your family. It's a different perspective. You know, I mean, some of you, honestly, the the bitterness, it just, you keep turning it over and over and over And you claim to be a growing Christian, transitioning toward, but friends, you've got to move to a new place. You've got to move from being over here, your agenda, and move to God's agenda in your life. You know, Jesus Christ died for you. He saved you so that you wouldn't live in that condition. He saved you so you could live life fully, that you would fully be his. You know, so that you could overcome some of the petty stuff that's just destroying the family. And turn it apart. How about when you're out and about in the world? There are all kinds of opportunities. 
I call them the grand opportunities to be an overcomer. Things like traffic jams, canceled flights, weather conditions that don't suit you, you know, long lines, waits, things don't turn out the way you plan. Because in those moments when you are inconvenienced, when things don't go your way, you, you have to get a perspective. Because I think the easiest thing to do is to cry foul, fall into self-pity. You know, why me? I think it's real easy to become a very, not very nice person in those moments. Romans 8.37 says, in those moments, when that thing happens, whatever it is, you can overcome the tendencies, our natural tendencies. You are more than a conqueror. Your identity in Jesus Christ makes you face things different. So that in that moment, you kind of center yourself. You say, you know what? I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to be nice to the person that just told me my flight's been canceled. I'm going to bless them. I will be your witness. When everybody else is angry and they're throwing stuff and acting like fools, I'm going to be your witness in the middle of that. I'm asking you to help me be kind and loving. I'm going to ask you to use me in that moment. Friends, most of the stuff we're talking about, it's everyday stuff we all deal with. And it's all determined by how you see yourself. And we've talked a lot about this. How how you see yourself is determined by what you're putting in here that affects here. You know, that's why we spend so much time saying, you got to spend time in God's Word. you got to spend time studying your Bible and praying and listening to God and reflecting on your life. You have to do it. That's why we encourage you to get in a small group so you got other people encouraging you, other people that have some input into your Christian walk that can can kind of step in and go, that doesn't sound quite right. That's why I'm always encouraging you to be here regularly. You know, because here's what I know. When we're sitting here, when you're sitting there, you change in here. And it changes how you think here. And just a little sidebar, how often are you here? How often are you here? Every once in a while, I'll have a conversation with someone and I had this not very long ago with someone there. Things are kind of off the rail for them. And they're very frustrated with life. And so I just asked, I said, how often are you here at church? They go, all the time. I said, oh, really? I said, let's see, there's 53 Sundays in, in the year, this year. I said, you miss most weekends that they're holidays, right? Which I knew that. I said, so what are there, seven, eight, eight of those holidays that you miss? Yeah, that's about right. I said, and then you guys go on vacation, have long weekends, you know, what, three or four times a year? Yeah. And then there's three or four weather holidays, you know, the weather's just awful, can't, can't get out, cloudy.
sarcasm. <laughs> I said, and then, then let, let's just say there's three sick days. Uh, you know, one for you, one for your wife, one for the dog. Uh, so two or three sports. And then, let's be honest, there's three or four that, hey, I don't like the topic. I think I'll do something else. I said, so when you say you're here all the time, you really mean half the time? They kind of looked at me. That's usually the look I get. Parents, I find it very troubling. Kids that are here half the time. In fact, we got a chunk of kids that are here once a month. Being here is important because when you're here, when you're here, you're getting stuff here and here, and that stuff affects everything. It affects everything. And I I don't know if you've figured out, you are raising children. You are raising them in a very difficult time. Society is a bit off the chain these days. And they are too valuable. There is too much riding on it. Eternity is at stake. If you do not build a spiritual foundation and a relationship with Jesus Christ for them, well, good luck. And watch out. Christ-centered Christians, not transitional Christians, Christ-centered Christians make it a priority to be here. They just do. Christ-centered people make a point of spending time in the seat, spending time in God's word, spending time in worship, spending time praying and just connecting with God. You know, Christ-centered Christians spend more of their time serving and give of their resources. They look for opportunities for God to use them and for them to be used by God in a significant way. Why they do it? Main reason. They are about God's agenda, not their own. Do you see the dividing point there? Life-changing moments take place when you learn, when you worship here, and it spills over into your life out there. All right, enough said. You are more than a conqueror. Because of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you can overcome. You can overcome. And the question is, where are you calling a foul on God these days? Where are you whining and moaning and complaining? Where are you living defeated? We serve a loving, transcendent God who who knows absolutely what he's doing in your life, whose ways are way higher than our ways, and God's understanding is way beyond anything you can imagine. And my question is, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Are you living in a manner that says you trust God? Have you surrendered your agenda and taken God's agenda? Because I believe when you take that step, when you lock in on Jesus Christ, you secure your identity as a conqueror. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter what the obstacle or the problem or the struggle. You find your identity and you're secure because you become 
okay? A more than conqueror type person. And you can overcome whatever, you know, temptation, some circumstance, hate, revenge, bitterness, anger, fear. And it spills into all your life. When you head to work tomorrow. When you go home and you're spending time with your family. When you're just out and about. Every area of life, it spills. Now, here is a moment of truth. We've talked a lot about all these lies that, that we buy. Where do you need to overcome today? What area? I know as I've been talking, for some of you, you zeroed right in on whatever it was. And I want to challenge you to take a step of faith. And to quit saying, I can't. I can't overcome this. I can't, whatever, fill in the blank. And I'm going to invite you. It may be a little thing. Maybe something's been annoying you. Maybe it's a huge obstacle. I don't know. But to just stand up where you're at. I'm going to pray for you. You're not going to do anything strange or weird. But if you have something and you want to say today, you know what? I am tired of saying I can't. And you know that God can. And you want God to then be a more than conqueror type person. Just stand up and let me pray for you this morning. All right? God promises us a new day, a new vision, and a new reality. And that's what we're going to claim today. God, we just, we pray for all those that are standing here. God, I pray that your spirit would guide us. We've been saying, I can't. We've been defeated. Maybe we've just felt broken. God, we stand today knowing that you have given us the ability to overcome all things. Whatever it is we face, God, I maybe part of it we've just got to give up our agenda and realize you have a purpose in whatever it is we're going through but God I pray that we'd remember we're going through your power's greater your ability's way beyond whatever it is we face God we stand on your word we stand because of what Jesus Christ did God, we know you promised victory. God, I pray that all of us, whether we're standing or not, would be reminded we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors because of your love. God, I thank you for your son and the blood that he spilled for us. God, I pray that find strength knowing that we've been forgiven it's all washed away you paid that price and it's made a difference today tomorrow forever we give you the praise and we lift our voice and sing today